Hello everyone, welcome. Happy Wednesday to you, the 1st of April, uh, April Fool's Day, and uh, normally it's a day of uh, great levity, but uh, in light of uh, all of the circumstances in the world, uh, we're trying to stay positive here. There's, there's a lot going on, of course, and uh, a lot of us are homebound, taking the advice of health professionals. So I'm happy that I'm having the opportunity to kind of fill the time here uh, talking talking sports, talking broadcasting, which is my first passion. We've had a lot of great guests on. We've had a lot of great topics. Uh, the last time I was with you, uh, say it was about a week and a half ago, I talked about uh, my favorite books uh, that have to do with sports broadcasting. And uh, there are a ton of them out there. I have a huge library. If you haven't uh, listened to that, I encourage you to do so. We've also had a chance to talk with a uh, some broadcasters in the industry. That is going to continue. In fact, uh, we're going to have this happening on a pretty much on a weekly basis. We're going to get guests in here. And uh, today we have a very special guest. He's a good friend of mine. He's a guy that I work with in Hockey East, a guy that I have a great uh, regard for. He's the uh, radio voice of uh, the UNH Wildcats, uh, Mike Murphy. Uh, Mike has a long list of accomplishments to his name. He's been uh, a part of the UNH Sports Network since 1998. Uh, he's been the voice of men's hockey at UNH, women's hockey, men's and women's basketball. He's also done work for UNH football on the uh, New England Sports Network. Six-time New Hampshire Sportscaster of the Year. 12-time uh, New Hampshire uh, Broadcaster Association Golden Mike Award. Worked for the New Hampshire Fisher Cats for uh, six years. 2008, the New Hampshire uh, broadcaster Personnel of the Year, and uh, also top play-by-play -play award winner in 2008. And, uh, of course, if you've seen Connor Chonky on Nesson, uh, if you've seen UNH games, you've seen Mike doing the play-by-play -play with uh, Pete Webster. And, uh, Mike, uh, certainly a lot of great uh, accolades in your career. It's a big thrill for me having you here, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking shop with you for a little bit. John, I, I tell you off the air, I'll tell you here on the podcast with the millions at home, no one's a bigger fan of this show than I am. I've listened to every episode, different walks of life. I can tell you my favorite highlights if you want as we go <laughs> along, but I will definitely say this. I will never forget that Reed Lebster is number 13. Because of the image you painted of Mike Brady, the fraternal figure from the Brady Bunch, taking a knife like Friday the 13th and stabbing lobsters. Oh, yes. Well, you know, uh, that, that was something that I really... Uh, I really enjoyed talking about it. memory is something that I've I had a, I've always had a good interest with it, but when you can apply it to sportscasting and make it fun, I think your attention will go way up. But uh, that's one of the things I want to talk to you about, Mike, uh, through the course of our time here. And I know the first thing I want to dive into this is a topic that I talked with Mike Logan about, and I'd like to kind of get your thoughts on it. You've had the great privilege of being able to do both radio and TV work. I'm, I'm thinking along the lines of UNH men's hockey here. You've done both. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the differences between uh, radio and TV. How do you approach it, and, and, and how are they different? Yeah, I listened to that episode with Mike, and he was so right, and, and you said the same thing, that on TV you're always saying too much. And you feel guilty, right, if you're watching the game and you're not constantly discussing where the puck is or where the action is going because that's what gets us into the business to begin with. I think most play-by-play -play broadcasters got into it via radio, have an affinity for radio, because that's when you are steering the ship. 
And that's true because you are the eyes and ears of everybody who is in the audience. But TV, you get a bigger audience. It's certainly great because you have replays. You can really play off your analysts. And I've had the privilege of working with Patrick Foley, three-time UNH captain, and then Pete Webster, who's been doing UNH hockey for over a quarter century. You have to let them be the stars when it comes to TV. And that is by far the biggest difference. How much of an adjustment is it from going from radio to TV? You know, uh, I, I really haven't had the chance to do TV yet. I hope to do some in the future. I'm kind of in that radio mode on a nightly basis. But when you have to make that switch, uh, how hard is it to train your brain to say, hey, this is a different approach. I've got to be conscious of it. It's difficult because I find myself saying talk is on the left-hand side. Well, no mm-hmm. kidding, Sherlock. People are watching the TV. <laughs> I don't need you to say who it is. And you don't have to describe every single player touching the puck, even on radio. Sometimes it goes so fast that you don't have to say every single thing going on. If you do that, you tend to really be talking too much. But that's the key, is laying out more, letting Mm -hmm. the action speak for itself, in particular when goals are scored. You know, because sometimes you want to say who it was and the time of the goal and the score, but laying out and just letting the fan noise speak for a while is... Uh, that's a unique talent I haven't mastered by any means, but I appreciate those who do. And that, that's one of the big adjustments. If you stop talking on radio, no one knows what the heck just happened. <laughs> yeah. you know, so you have to kind of fill in more blanks there. It kind of reminds me of the night that uh, Hank Aaron hit his 715th home run, the record breaker. And Vin Scully uh, explained how he uh, went about that. He said he got up, left the booth, went and made some coffee came back three minutes later because there's nothing he could have said that could have added to the picture of what everybody saw. That's the best description I've heard. Now, if I try to do that at a UNH hockey game when it's a 1-1 tie with Merrimack, <laughs> a minute and a half later, they're wondering what's going on. But, uh, yeah, that, that's when you really listen to what the pros do, those who have mastered it, because they do it day after day, um, baseball especially. When you're working every day in TV, you're going to be a lot better by the end of May, end of June, in a typical season, not in 2020, yep. than somebody who does 18 or so games, maybe you're doing radio for three, then you jump in on TV before going back to radio the next night. That That is a difficult adjustment. So as broadcasters, we always talk about the importance of preparation. Now, uh, when you prepare for a radio broadcast as opposed to a TV broadcast, what, what are the differences there when you approach those different two kinds of mediums? So when it comes to preparing for radio, I don't do as much with the other team. I don't interview the coach. I know you guys do it. A lot of hockey's teams do it. We don't in our pregame just because when you're doing radio, you have to make sure you have all your sponsor reads ready, all the different elements that are sponsored. If it's your starting goaltender matchup, that's more important than our starting lineups this particular season because that's when they have the sponsors. We spent more time talking about the two goalies than we did about the actual starting lineups. But on TV, you may spend 10 seconds doing the starting goalies because you're going on the air right before puck drop, not a 30-minute pregame show. So, so much of radio is what happens before the action, what happens in the intermissions, who do we have to interview, how many breaks do we have left, what, what highlights are we calling for, whereas in TV, during the intermissions, we pretty much relax, you know, and then let the... The, the content that comes on from our producer take over. Now, produce, doing preparation for TV, I do speak with the opposing coach. We set up a conference call a few days early because I want to be cognizant of the fact that 
even though it's clearly the UNH announcers, with this new deal that Hockey East has put together with Nesson, I think if you watch enough games, you realize these aren't the Nesson guys like it used to be. Mm -hmm. We're lucky that we all get a chance to produce our own broadcast. So I still have a UNH focus. That's who I am. Um, uh, but at the same time, I know if we're playing against Merrimack, we want to be able to say what Scott Boric tells recruits mm -hmm. about why I come play at Merrimack College. We know people are watching from the other team. And so you give more time in telling the stories of the student athletes from the Warriors and the coaching staff. And on our radio broadcast, we don't really do a lot of that. We give some facts, but we don't spend a ton of time on the other team because it's a home radio broadcast. And if you're a radio fan, you'll find John Leahy, if it's a Merrimack game, versus listening to Murphy and Webster on mm -hmm. Wildcat Network, for the most part. I think most people now understand you don't have to literally find a radio to listen to the broadcast. In fact, I almost never listen to the actual radio anymore. I'll go to my smartphone and find whatever broadcast around the country I want to listen to. Now, you make a good point. Now, uh, let's talk about TV here for a second. Uh, I've seen um, TV broadcasters conduct live interviews with players, say, at the end of a period. Now, how, how, how does that work? Does the producer, when you get to the rink, does the producer say, hey, we, you know, we're going to interview such and such, and, and this is how we're going to uh, approach it? Yeah, we, when we have that conference call with the opposing coach, it's usually a Thursday, Thursday or Friday, depending. But we go through this stuff. We say, coach, is it okay if we go in the locker room with the camera for about two minutes to get video of the guys lacing up their skates or taping their sticks? And they usually say that's fine. You know, you want to be... Uh, respectful because it's weird when a camera pops in the locker room. Right. Not used to it. But right. we'll say when the team gets off the bus, we have a camera there. And as far as access with the players, we'll say we're going to find a key player. This is what we're thinking about. And as they skate off after warmups, we're going to have our sideline ringside reporter just grab them for a quick couple of questions. And then at the end of each period, we take an impact player. From that period it doesn't have to be a UNH player mm -hmm. certainly I hope it is it means he had a good period but if it's a team somebody from Michigan scoring a couple of goals you better believe that's the person mm -hmm. that we're going to speak with so we let the coaches know on Thursday and make sure they're aware not clearly we have the SIDs get involved to remind the athletes but everyone's been terrific so cooperative whether it's hockey east or non-conference and we've had it where we've had to talk to the other coach after a game because it isn't you, – you win the game, you are the star player. That's who people should be hearing from during that telecast. And, of course, on TV, both TV and radio, we have the advantage of knowing when the commercials are coming. You know, we, uh, we check the timing sheet before the game. We see, okay, we're going to go to commercial at 14, 10, and 6 minutes of each period. So uh, th that's really a big help, isn't it, just to, in terms of your preparation as well? Yes. The hardest part for me in TV is the open. Number one, I don't like being on camera. Mm -hmm. Number two, we try to get it all done in advance. So we're weaving in all these things. So when we've done some of our TV broadcasts, it has been come on, you know, open opening segment. You see the team coming off the bus, wide view of the ice, then come into the booth and we're staring into the light. And usually the lights could be going out uh, in real time because of what's happening on the ice. We begin our intro. We throw it to the first interview with a member of the visiting team comes back to us for a few seconds, then we throw it down to a second interview because we've had two ringside reporters, and that's with a member of the Wildcats. So you have two interviews, plus highlights, plus getting going, and then you go to commercial break. Once all that's done, you kind of relax 
Then you sit down, you put on your headset, and you're into broadcast mode. And that was a long answer. But once you're in the mode, you know the timeouts are coming. TV, it's even easier because the guy's in my head, my producer, telling me, all right, we're in a break zone. So next whistle you know. You've got 10 seconds, music playing, get out, we're going to commercial. Now that's a good point. Uh, on TV, you have the one thing you don't have in radio, and that you have that guidance in your headset, right, to, to, to try to guide you along and tell you what's coming. Is that pretty consistent throughout the broadcast once you go live? That is a really hard adjustment because, yes, it is not only consistent, it can be a bit much. Mm -hmm. uh, ben Gilbert is our producer, and he's as good as they come, uh, not only in Hockey East, but he worked for the New Orleans Saints, New Orleans Pelicans. Mm -hmm. He's worked the Super Bowl. I blamed him for the power going out that year with the <laughs> Niners and Ravens. Uh, but then he came back because he's a Cape Cod kid originally and just knows so much about TV. He freelances for most of the Boston professional teams. So he's the voice in my head. It's hard for me to tell him, hey, shut up. All right, it's a bit much. But you want to sometimes, and yet it's so helpful because you have the talkback button. When mm -hmm. you hit that button, you can say, can you get me the replay of that hit? Oh. Or they'll let you know we have a great overhead view. Here it comes. So, yeah, the people at home don't get a chance to hear, and it's so helpful because it's clear you're working in tandem when you're asked for the highlight, and that's when, as I pointed out earlier, the analyst really takes over. Pete Webster is so good at looking at replays, quickly analyzing, and making it a better experience for the viewer at home. And let's contrast that, just, just to drive this point home, let's contrast that with radio. I know uh, with Merrimack, we're internet only, so I handle everything. I don't hear anything in my headset except me and my analysts. I run the spots in between periods, but you're in control. You don't have that voice you know, in your headset, and, and I'm sure you experienced something similar there with UNH, is that you, on, on radio, the play-by-play -play person is, the, is sort of the person that drives the broadcast. You don't have those... Uh, uh, stimuli in your in your head. Which I appreciate, for <laughs> sure. And you take it to the umpteenth level as far as being in control. You play your commercials. You have the great music beds that I enjoy so much. In our radio situation, there is somebody at a radio station who talks to us during the breaks, not yeah. live during the, con the course of the game, but we are in contact. Sometimes it can be awkward because when we're not on Nesson, with hockey, we're now in the CBSI package, which has been tremendous for people to be able to watch every Hockey East game that they subscribe right, to right. CBS. But what it does, just because we have so much going on, meaning not just the broadcasters, but UNH Wildcat Productions, during commercial breaks on radio, people at home who are watching on CBSI, they're listening to us because it's a simulcast, mm -hmm. and they may be the same at Paramac, and they're still seeing what's going on in the ice, but every so often, I have to talk to my producer, and it could be a casual conversation, and it's not – people can tell we're not on the air, and I'll get texts, I'll get emails, oh, my gosh, you guys are on, be careful, because we're being a little more relaxed. And I understand it's tough because I don't want to ignore my producer when they're saying, hey, that's your third break, you have one more, okay? Mm -hmm. I, I do tend to try to ignore them or ignore my commentator saying something to me that he might forget we're still being watched. And that can be tricky. So, obviously, I associate you with, with all the hockey you've done, but you've done uh, all kinds of sports at UNH. How does hockey compare to the other sports you've done, you know, from an, an enjoyment level and, and in terms of a prep level? Where, where, where does hockey fit in, in comparison to those other sports? Hockey is definitely number one now uh, because, and even as I heard you introing me, and it was very flattering, it's still strange to me to be called the voice of anything. 
Mm-hmm. When people introduce me sometimes, like Mike Susan, the coach, will say, hey, here's Murph, he's the voice of the Wildcats. I still stand back like, oh. Well, let me just interject. Uh, I've told Mike Macknick many times that I don't need to be referred to as the voice of Merrimack Hockey. He hasn't heeded my advice yet, but but I know I know what you're saying. Please continue. And you are, and I've yeah. heard, and every time he does it, it's great that he sets you up that way. And I should be uh, honored, and I am honored. But at the same time, I still I've done this four years as the voice of UNH mm-hmm. hockey, and I still feel like I'm just keeping the seat warm for somebody. Somebody else should be doing this job, right? Uh, the other sports I did at UNH, I vastly enjoyed. No, no question about it. I spent almost 20 years, let's see, 1998 to 2010, so more than 20 years, as the color commentator of football on the radio mm-hmm. with the true broadcast legend, New Hampshire's best ever, Jim Janot. He's the one who brought me in to sports casting in New Hampshire, gave me the opportunities that have led me to where I am. And I always thought, because we, after doing football that long, a couple of years after I started, with football color commentary, I joined him as the basketball color commentator. Mm-hmm. Now, I had been doing play-by-play for Concord Area High School Hoops, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Matt Bonner went on to the NBA for many years, played at Concord High, and I broadcast mo- most of his games, mm-hmm. including championships. Bishop Brady was a lower-level team that had a number of Division One athletes in Concord. They were winning and playing for championships. So I really got into professional sports casting at the high school level. But when I had a chance to move to college and do color, it wasn't as, as as fulfilling, but it was great. I had to do it. I mean, to work college basketball. And I always thought, you know, if I do this with Jim for a long time, when he steps aside, that's where I'll get my opportunity mm-hmm. to do play-by-play either for football or basketball. As a result, I've done neither. And <laughs> the opportunity came with hockey. Uh, you know, it fill in for many years with Dan Parkhurst, who did a great job as the voice of the team. And then when Dan decided it was not, it was just too much, you know, to, to do radio, uh, I was even surprised when I got the opportunity from the boss at Learfield at the time um, to, to get the chance to do this. And then, of course, I had to ask my boss, Marty Scarano, the AD at UNH, hey, is it okay if I do play-by-play all the time? Because my job at UNH was just the opposite of that. When I came to the university, I put aside a lot of my broadcast duties and then to be able to do it again fulfills uh, a big part of my professional enjoyment. And being with the team, as going back to hockey all the time, that's the best. Uh, it really is. I, it's the hardest to do hockey, I believe, and it's still a challenge, and I love it. But being associated with the team as the voice people are used to, that's pretty special. You know, you make, uh, you make an interesting point. People ask me all the time because, you know, I do baseball a lot, obviously, and... Uh, People ask me all the time, which sport is harder, hockey or baseball? And I say, without question, baseball is a lot harder because you have the time to fill. So uh, hockey, the game is so fast, you don't have time to sit there and tell stories. Unless you're Mike Macknick, of course, who has (laughs) an an encyclopedia of a brain. So, I mean, he adds tremendous value to the broadcast. But I I always found that uh, question interesting. But uh, you've had the rare uh, experience of being both a play-by-play broadcaster, and a color analyst. I, I've seen you on Nesson doing the uh, color for UNH football. So how much of an adjustment is that? You know, you, you consider yourself a play-by-play guy, and then you, you, uh, you, you're you now doing color. Uh, how much of an adjustment is that to go back and forth? It is a huge adjustment, and I feel like I had so much experience doing it for years that maybe I was more ready for it than others. Um, 
when Jim Janot brought me in, what he told me, and this goes back again to 1998-99, he goes, what I need you to be, and I've remembered this ever since, and I've told other analysts who are just starting out, what I need you to be is not telling me what I just said. What I need you to be are looking around at what happened away from the ball or away from the puck. Why did something happen? Was in football, was there a big block that right. led to a big rushing play? And fill in those blanks. You know, football, you have the natural window of whistle to whistle. Right. Plays over, jump in, say something. Right. Uh, baseball, yeah, it's you can speak forever doing color in baseball, really. Basketball, it's almost like once the ball gets past half court, you better wind down and let the play-by-play guy come back in. Hockey, I could never master doing color. I filled in. I did Eric Freed was doing play-by-play in Nesson, and they let me do color one time, and I was scared to death. I didn't know what to say. And anybody who watched the game realized I didn't know how to analyze that. But that's the key. Is don't, you have to complement the play-by-play. You don't have to reiterate what we've already heard from the other guys. Well, that's a perfect segue into my next point. I want to talk a little bit about fundamentals. Uh, you know, as a play-by-play announcer, it, it gets drilled into our heads. Give the score, give the score, give the score. Especially on radio where you don't have the graphics. Um, you know, I've, I have a lot of thoughts on this topic. And one of, the, uh, one of the things I believe is that you can't give the score enough, especially on radio. So I constantly get myself into the habit to do it. Some guys in hockey go whistle to whistle, which I don't think is enough with the score, but uh, some guys use an egg timer, particularly in baseball, to give the score. Uh, what, what's kind of your, your philosophy on, on score giving? Yeah, and I've heard all those discussions, and I adhere to a lot of them. When I did baseball, I had the timer, which was fantastic, mm-hmm. because baseball, it's easy to forget how often. Yeah. Hockey, there are a lot of whistles, so you're able to get the score in that way, but I, I do try not to wait for whistles. Sometimes a puck gets thrown behind the net, and the team begins to move up ice. If you feel like you haven't said it in the last 90 seconds or two minutes, you throw it in there real quick. And you may see, when you feel like you're doing it too much, chances are maybe you're doing it enough. Right, uh, right. As soon as you don't feel like you are saying it too much, chances are somebody who just tuned in on her 10-minute drive from one spot to the next is going, hey, idiot, what's the score? I don't right, care right. how nice he saucered the pass, all right? We're <laughs> not making a gourmet dinner. Just tell me, is you want a twin inclusive? Nothing irritates me more than turning on a broadcast and having to wait, you know, five, six, seven minutes uh, to get the score. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it, it's so easy to overlook. Of course, in TV, you know, you have the luxury of the graphics, but I think you should still be cognizant of giving that score. Yeah, that time, I, that, most times I feel dumb whenever I say the score, but you're right, maybe somebody's looking down. Every so often you remind people the score or time, but in TV I say, I'm not going to tell them the time left. They're looking right at that. But going back to your pet peeve about it, it's true. And you and I, and I imagine most of your audience, if they're sportscasting fans, will listen or watch. Well, let's go back to radio. They'll listen to a lot of different greats. People have really good jobs, and it'll be interested to go, wow, they haven't said the score in a long time. <laughs> and I feel better about myself because some of the really good ones, even they are so good at their craft that it almost seems beneath them. Oh, by the way, 12.30 left in the period, it's nothing, nothing. Uh, there's nothing magical about that, but that is the most important thing you can do when you are, as we said earlier, steering the ship as the radio play-by-play. And, you know, going right along with that, using hockey as an example, not only do we have to give the score, but we also have to be cognizant of the time left in a period. Yeah, that's huge. 
and what period it is. Frank. Right, right, exactly. Now, another point, Mike, that I wanted to talk about is uh, recapping the action, you know, on the radio. Uh, we talk about, you know, listeners, uh, they're constantly tuning in and out on the radio, doing other things, radio's on in the background. Uh, I try to give a recap, you know, uh, certainly, you know, from whistle to whistle. I, I try to recap how we've gotten to this point. You know, what's your feeling on how often that should be done? Yeah, especially as the game goes along, if there's only one goal scored, occasionally when that particular player touches the puck in a different format, you'll say, hey, Leahy with the puck, Leahy, the reason why it's one nothing Merrimack, his mm -hmm. goal early in the first, and you have a chance to just kind of remind people, sprinkle it in, if there is a whistle, and you, know, you can say, well, let's, what got us to this point? Merrimack scored early on to take the one nothing lead before UNH had its back-to-back -back goals. So mm -hmm. you, you do want to throw things in on occasion, knowing, as you point out, every 10 minutes your audience may have changed, and they're not only interested in the score in time, but who scored, how they scored, what brought us to where we are now. And, you know, it varies from sport to sport, doesn't it? For example, in football, you know, you have the time from when a play starts to when a play ends. That's usually the time for the analyst to jump in. But, you know, uh, for example, in, in football, you know, again, giving the score is paramount, and, and you have to weave uh, those recaps in as well. So uh, do you find that it, it, your approach differs from sport to sport in giving the fundamentals? I guess only in terms of the speed of the sport. Yeah. Hockey, because things keep moving, you have to interject it while play is going on. Oftentimes, you don't have to, you can't wait for an icing or offside whistle to necessarily give you the chance to throw the anecdotes out there. Mm -hmm. Football, you're going to have an opportunity after whistles to do quick recaps. Basketball, you know, it's different. You don't say, well, it made it eight to two on this great basket. It's, it's not necessarily as important. You, you talk more about an individual having a great game. He's six for six from the floor now, mm. including two threes that he hit in the first eight minutes to help UNH build this big lead. Basketball always cracks me up because there's nothing more useless than the first quarter basketball score in the NBA. <laughs> uh, but the other thing is we make such a big deal, and we're kind of in showbiz, so we do it. They were ahead by as many as 11 points in the first half. How in the world are they behind now? And if you watch basketball, it happens all the time yeah. where a team can build a double-digit lead in the first half and squander it in a matter of minutes. But we always make it sound like, you know, we'll go back to that note sometimes to ad nauseum. Well, they once led by 11, now they're down by 6. Okay, we get it. It's a game of runs you don't have to overdo. You know, basketball is kind of unique, too, because in basketball, you really don't have to worry about uh, not giving the score enough because... You give it after each basket, right? So you have a built-in kind of frequency to do it, don't you? And you also don't have to worry about getting overly excited by a score. <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, heaven forbid somebody scores a basket in basketball and you act like they scored the game-winning goal in overtime in hockey. Yeah. So yeah, the score comes up. It's very easy to keep the score going in basketball. It really is. And baseball is exactly the opposite because with all the downtime, you know, all the stories and fill... You can't lose sight of the, the importance of giving the score. I know, you know, during each half inning, you know, no matter how long or short it is, I find myself giving the score 10, 15, 20 times. You have to. Baseball is tailor-made for people, you know, doing other things while they're listening. You're outside. You, under normal circumstances, you're outside having a barbecue. You get the game on in the background. Baseball, it is so paramount, Mike, to give that score. And you said it before, and even though I gave my answer differently earlier, I changed to what you said. 
Baseball is harder than hockey. Mm-hmm. Hockey's fast, rapid fire, you're talking a lot, but you can stumble, make some mistakes, and get right back into it. Right. Baseball, you're talking for so much. When finally something happens, you really kick yourself if you don't accurately describe it because people might have been waiting 15 minutes for a real exciting play that either leads to a run or prevents a run, and to misidentify somebody or get the call wrong, you're like, oh, great. It could be another 20 minutes before we get a chance again to give some kind of excitement. And, you know, I'll never forget the advice Joe Castiglione gave, and he said, to be a successful baseball broadcaster, it's what you say between pitches. I mean, that's that's the critical thing. Uh, we all know how to describe, uh, you know, the action that happens on the field, but, you know, it, it's those times, those baseball, those down times, that filler information, that's really what makes it key. And there's certain s- small things that others may take for granted that as a listener, I get upset. Eh, upset might be a strong word, but it bothers me if I don't hear it consistently. In baseball, as boring as it may seem, here's the pitch, or he whines and delivers. Give me that so I know to expect something next. And the other example of that is football. He's under center. Mm-hmm. He's in the shotgun. He takes the snap. Let me know when he takes the snap, because if it's radio and all of a sudden you're talking about the quarterback rolling out, you're like, wait a minute, I didn't prepare myself knowing he was under center mm-hmm. or he took the snap. And the pitcher hasn't gotten to his line, you can't say there's ball two because you have to tee everybody up. That's just me being a nerd. But as a listener, I'm always waiting for that. As a broadcaster, I feel it's important because you can't say it too many more ways. Here's the line, and he delivers. You have to tell people, get ready. Something may happen here. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about a few uh, things that we might encounter on a broadcast, Mike. One of them is uh, how to deal with officials. You know, uh, and people's different people have different uh, philosophies about uh, criticizing officials' calls. I'd like to get your take on it. I'm going to give you my opinion after I hear yours. But uh, suppose you see an official make a call that you really feel in your heart is blatantly wrong. How do you go about that on the air? What's your approach? Uh, It's a tough one, John, because I do try not to criticize officials, but I find myself emotional sometimes and go boy tough call there especially the tv side when we have the benefit of replay right and you go look at that one again uh, borderline call real-time radio i try not to let emotions get the better of me but sometimes i play to it mm-hmm. you know hey the crowd gets mad oh look like it might have been a hook no call and i'll back off i don't want to get personal and say what a tough night so-and-so is having because i don't know the rules those guys are down there I know the rules, I should say that, but they are the ones who are right in the midst of the action. Easy for me to be the peanut gallery. So I'm not a fan of really going after officials, but I can't claim I've been innocent of them. Yeah, I feel the same way. I tend to err on the side of, hey, these officials are human. Uh, They know what's going on down there. They know the rules much better than we do. I have a tendency to steer clear of of that type of of approach. I'm, I'm more of a humanistic humanistic uh, type of broadcaster, if, if that makes any sense. But I know others... Also, John, real quick, before we change topics, I will play to the emotions of the crowd, if that makes sense. Right. Say, or, the, you know, going back, the overturned goal in the first period, the what fans thought should have been a tripping call. Right now, they're not happy with the officials because of some of these calls. I'll try to use that as... doesn't mean the fans are right. They're emotional. But if it's part of the feel of the broadcast and of the game and you know it's going to be talked about... 
you can't ignore. Yeah, the highest level of criticism you'll probably ever hear me on a broadcast say would be something along the lines of, there was a borderline play, there could have been a call there, uh, but the officials didn't see, in their judgment, the officials didn't see it that way. Mike, on the other hand, uh, my analyst, he's you know, been known to be highly cri critical of officials. And Mike comes from the uh, analyst point of view of, uh, you know, you got to call it like you see it. And I think, you know, there's a lot of uh, truth to that. But I think that it's a balance you have to strive for between calling, you, calling it as you see it and just understanding, the, you know, the hard job the referees have. That is a great point. The analyst, I feel, has more leeway. Mm -hmm. And Mike Macknick, in your case, or Pete Webster, when Pete gets to feel that way, the audience can feel it. Just, you know, Pete is the guy who really knows what's happening. Oh, I just, that, that call shouldn't have been made. He, he has more. I and mean, I feel that's, I don't know if it's because of Time Heinsohn or uh, you go back and find some of the color commentators from the past who were former players or coaches of teams. They're, they tend to be more emotional and get that ability. I think they have more freelance options to jump in and say it. And I think it works as a listener when you don't want to go overboard. And I know Pete and Mike don't, but it's better coming from them. We're just here to tell people what we're seeing, right. that the experts analyze if the official might have been off on that particular call. Well, here's another uh, topic that's interesting. Injuries. You know, we see injuries in sports all the time. The one thing that I drill into people's heads when I'm teaching a broadcasting course I always tell people, never speculate on injuries. You're not a doctor. You don't know how serious it is. And you don't want to worry the listeners or viewers back home who are tuned in. You could have family members there tuned in. And uh, so I'm sure you feel the same way and that injuries are, n are never something you should uh, speculate on. We're here with uh, Mike Murphy, who is the voice of uh, UNH Hockey, and uh, we're having a little bit of a uh, connection issue here. We're going to try to get this uh, going once again. And uh, we'll take a quick pause. We'll be back with Mike in a moment. <laughs> 